Eduardo here, taking over today's morning announcements. This is one small step for Aikido and one giant leap for Hiya! Don't be scared. I'm only an orange belt. Well, I now grant your host with the authority to take it away. And remember, grab the date by the horns. Hey everyone, Eddie Levy here. And I'm Sari Arambolo, and welcome back to AP Bio, the podcast. We hope you've been enjoying the new season. Today, we are going to recap Season 3, Episode 2, Disgrace. So in this episode, Jack tries to sell his own philosophy book to Sarika's aunt, but instead is hired to ghostwrite for famous horror author Robin Schwank, played by John Lovitz. Jack haphazardly agrees to the job and enlists the help of his favorite student and diehard Schwank fan, Heather. Meanwhile, Whitlock, Mary, Steph, and Michelle educate Helen on their If I Go Missing kits, while Victor blackmails Principal Durbin to allow him to go on the Ohio Naturalist field trip. So, Sari, what do you remember about shooting this episode? Oh, man. Um, This one was a fun one. I would say a moment that sticks out to me was definitely the cold open where a bunch of us are in our Ohio naturalist uniforms and (laughs) doing these really funny motions right behind Dave, who's speaking to camera. Um, And that day was really fun because... Obviously, shooting on the Universal lot, there's so many amazing sets that are accessible to us. And for this scene, we actually got to shoot on <laughs> right by a pond, right behind the War of the World set, um, which you go through when you're on the tram ride. It was just a normal work day for, for the amusement park. So there were actual trams passing by, and they had to have a safety officer who would stop the trams when we were filming. Um, so we would film and then they'd yell cut and then the safety officer would go back to the trams and give a signal to let the trams go by. So we'd wave to the people on the tram and it was just such a fun, fun experience. And then after we wrapped, we actually were able to go and explore the War of the World set, which was so much fun. And we got to really get into the nooks and crannies of the blown up airplane and all these like cars and um that was so much fun especially in our outfits so we felt really badass walking around and we took a bunch of really fun pictures and that was probably one of my favorite moments of season three just being able to explore the back lot and and just getting to bond and hang out with everyone in such a cool setting and i think that's actually a really great point about season three is that anytime we were quote unquote on location, we were actually just on the universal lot, which was a huge difference for us from season one and two, where anytime we were at a pool or at the house party episode, like we were off there on location and it was really cool to have them build any of the sets that we needed in the soundstage next door or, you know, utilize the universal lot in the way that they did. So that was actually a nice luxury this season to have. (laughs) Well, Siri, today's episode is jam packed. We better get to our first guest. All right, everybody start to shut up, start to shut up, shut up immediately. Roll call, please. We are so excited to bring you guys an extended segment this week. So, of course, we had to interview Allison Snyder for this episode, who plays Heather in the AP Bio classroom. Known for her starring roles on Disney's Sunny with a Chance and So Random, she is also a talented writer and director with award-winning shorts such as Nasty Habits and Room 566. Let's give it up for Allison Snyder. 
Before we get started on AP Bio on this incredible episode, we would love to hear a little more about what you were like in high school. Oh, goodness. Well, I was on the Disney Channel during what would have been my high school years, and I studied and got ahead and graduated when I was 15. So I kind of skipped over what would have been high school. And it's funny because a lot of my like high school firsts happened on the set of AP Bio. Like I had never had a locker before and like never been to a school dance and like never participated in a talent show. So I, I, I have a lot of these like high schooly memories that are connected with the show now. That's amazing. Okay, great. Well, let's start at the beginning um, of AP Bio. How did you hear about AP Bio and what was your audition like? Well, it was the untitled Mike O'Brien project when I got the audition. So I didn't know what the show was. I wasn't sent a full script pilot anything. I was literally sent one page and it was just the catfish message. So I got the audition and it just said mousy. That was the character description was mousy and glasses. And I was like, all right. And so I showed up with a little pair of fake glasses and I always do my hair in braids anytime it's supposed to be a character who's on the younger side. Um, and I remember thinking like, I'm not going to get this. I do not look like I'm in high school, but I, uh, I showed up and so there's kind of like in acting, there's like the really charactery actors. And then there's like the people who go out for like the leading roles. And I've always found myself kind of in this weird middle area where it's like my agent will sometimes send me out for the cheerleader, but also send me out for the nerd. And so it's like, I can kind of morph a little bit into each one, but it can sometimes be difficult because casting directors and networks have a little bit of a hard time using their imagination and they want to see you fit into one category. They don't really like those in-betweeners. And so, you know, going into this, I remember sitting in the waiting room of the audition and seeing all these other girls who were like super character like leaned into it really hard, their whole personality, their haircuts, their wardrobe and everything. And, you know, there's only so much I can do with like what I'm wearing and the glasses. But I remember sitting in the waiting room being like, okay, these are character actors and they're looking for somebody who's like mega dork, like total nerd. And I was like, I have to really like make some hard choices in there. Otherwise I'm not going to stand out against anybody. And so I remember thinking like, okay, what are high schoolers like? And they're like awkward, gangly. And I was like, they're always sweaty. Cause it's like, you know, my sister's in high school at the time. And I was like, the, like high schoolers are just always sweaty. They come home and they're just exhausted and they're sweaty. So I like went to the bathroom and I did a bunch of jumping jacks. So I was like kind of out of breath when I went into the audition and just like messed up my hair a little bit. And like the, the Heather voice was a last minute decision as I was walking in and I stayed in character the whole time. So I like didn't drop the voice, like, you know, saying like, hello, how are you? Thank you for having me was just all in that voice. Because I was like, they're going to want somebody who is that and fits into that category. They're not going to want to see somebody who's like putting on a voice and doing a character. And it was funny because I actually remember talking with Mike during the season finale, I believe it was, we were having lunch. And he was like, I was really surprised to find out that you were like a normal person. He's like, I thought you were just <laughs> accidentally perfect for the show. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I didn't know that that voice, which is so integral to your character now, was such a last minute decision. That's incredible. Yeah, I had never tried out that voice before walking into the audition room. I was just like, oh, I'll pick something. Hey, what's up? Just like went straight into it. Um, so following up with that, how do you think your character has changed from season one to season three? 
Yeah. So I think that Mike O'Brien, um, cause he wants all these kids to have an element of realism and he definitely, definitely watched us as real people and incorporated elements of our actual personalities into our AP bio characters. And so I think the Heather character quickly came out of her shell because Mike saw that like, no matter what I was dressed like, what I was wearing, if I was wearing some ridiculous sheep sweater, I still had like, you know, tons of confidence, went up, talked to everybody, like just, hey, how are you? How's it going? And I remember also thinking that uh, they must have been listening in on our mics or something because like within the first few weeks of AP bio, I remember trying to like fight everybody and like, like we were just talking about fight club the whole time within like the little cast room. And like, I was showing off my like fight club tattoo and my El Himidor tattoo talking about like getting in fights and drinking and stuff. And then a few weeks later we had the party episode where Heather's trying to fight people and drink like get drunk, wake up in a ditch. And I was like, they're listening in. How do they know this? <laughs> well, like this got oddly specific. And especially too with um Schwank. That that definitely uh I think was pulled from from personal personal hobbies and interests because I'm not uh I don't hide at all the fact that I'm a big horror fan. My entire social media and just every shirt and everything that I wear is just all horror, thriller, love that. But this episode has a really big emphasis on Robin Schwank, who's played by the incredible John Lovitz. And he is a fictional, famous horror writer. And again, talking about what you just said, where is art imitating life or is life imitating art? You are such a horror fan. And it's so cool that you're able to do this storyline. And we just wanted to talk on a personal level, um, maybe about some of your favorite horror artists. Oh, my goodness. Well, when it comes to books and writing, I mean, my dad and I, you know, my entire childhood would always read mystery novels and like thrillers. And and so that's always been such a huge part of my life and my childhood. And I remember one of our favorites that we read together was Trespasser by Paul Doiren. And I remember that book really standing out for me because it gets so, so specific in the details of just little elements of his life. Um, I believe he's like a, the main character is like a park ranger, um, but he gets injured in this one part and it's like the medicine that he's taking for it. And just like the way he describes the pain of the injury and like, you know, struggling with little things like tying his shoes, like knowing exactly what kind of boots somebody who's employed, you know, by the parks would be wearing as well as what the exactly the pill bottle says how long the medicine lasts how long it takes to kick in it was like just like such thorough like research where I was like he has to be an actual like ranger and he has to have had you know these experiences and these injuries and then looking up the writer later and being like he's not he's not a park ranger like he had to have done so much research to like know all these little tiny details and so that really inspired me in my writing to make sure it's like find those tiny details that you can just kind of sprinkle into your writing, whether it's, you know, writing a book or a film, just like those little things to make it authentic to where somebody feels like, wow, this person has gone through that. Or, oh, I wouldn't have thought about, you know, how hard it might be to tie your shoes when you're not only in pain, but you're in a sling and things like that. And so it's just like, that's been one of the big things for me to like 
anytime I'm writing something, I do an insane amount of research beforehand. I kind of like, I'll come up with a little idea in passing and I'll like write it down on my phone, keep it in the back of my brain. You know, when I'm, whenever I'm doing something mindless, like washing the dishes or on a drive or in the shower, I'll kind of like mull that over and start to develop it into more of a story. But before I can actually start putting it on a page, I sit down for like weeks and I just do every bit of research that I can. I actually have a book that is for writers. Um, it's called like police procedural and it's like how everything works. It's, it's somebody who started out like, uh, as a police officer and they wrote this book for writers on like, this is what you would refer to this person as this is who's higher in the ranking on this. This is what they wear. These are how many patrol cars you would normally have to this. And like, it's different in small towns. And like, they give you all these really specific details. That way you can kind of pull from that and little things that you might not think about like how, Oh, some of the rookies or people looking to get promotions. They might rat out the people above them to try to kind of like, you know, get points and just little things like that. And so it's really been, you know, inspirational for me to make sure that when I'm writing something, I like really, really do my research and I know exactly what's going into it before I actually try to put dialogue into it. <laughs> that was long. That was a rant, but I just, oh, I get so passionate and so excited. Oh, I mean, you, you have put so much stuff out into the world that is so incredible and there's so much more to come despite this <laughs> world that we're living in currently. I think your creativity is what sets you apart and makes oh, you just you. so um, invaluable. You were just telling me that because we're in quarantine, you were coming up with pitches that you could do for potential new TV shows or films so that in if you ever need to shoot something in one location, you can, you have those ideas. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cause I, I always try to write budget conscious anyway of just like, Oh, try to make it, you know, minimal cast, like all one location. It's going to make it easier on the budget and just easier on the shoot, you know, not having to go around all these different locations. And so I was already writing kind of in this quarantine mindset anyway, but now I've narrowed that down even further because, you know, production insurance is much more difficult to get now because of, you know, the state of the world. And so now it's something where it's like, hey, if we can shoot this with one person in one location using an iPhone, that's going to get greenlit immediately. We can pretty much shoot that with couch change. Yes, you're so smart. So transitioning to talking about this episode, 302 Disgraced, this is such a great character arc for Heather. We'd love to hear a little bit more about the moment towards the end of the episode when Schwank is giving you feedback on the story that you wrote. I remember filming this on set and just being in awe of you and how you can easily transition from a comedic character to the more dramatic moments. So could you tell us a little bit more about that and what it was like to film? Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I started out doing drama throughout my whole childhood. I was very, I mean, I still am very scrawny and pale. And so I played a lot of like ghost girl or like cancer patient thing, like things like that. And so it was always these very serious and dramatic roles. I remember I guest starred on a few sitcoms here and there, but it wasn't until my audition for Sunny with a Chance came up that I remember my agent called me into his office and was like, hey, do you think you can do comedy? Like, do you think you can do like big, crazy, like sitcom comedy? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I'll give it a shot. And so I've never really categorized myself as like, you know, oh, I'm a comedic actor. Oh, I'm a dramatic actor. Um, and I remember after doing, you know, the Disney Channel show for three years, then starting to audition after that for these serious roles, again, people being like, oh, you can do dramatic acting. I'm like, that's what I did. Like, if anything, it was the reverse of like, oh, you can do comedic acting uh, in my brain. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I've always 
had the mentality when it comes to acting. Uh, my favorite little quote is something my dad would always say to me throughout you know, my entire childhood in the industry is he would always just say, bring it. So he would just say, bring it, bring it, bring it. Uh, because if you don't give it your all, then nobody will ever know what you're capable of. And so it's just kind of like that. Don't hold anything back. So whether you're just over the top, crazy, silly, you know, doing this sketch comedy style acting, or it's like this dramatic, heartbreaking scene and you're like in tears or you're screaming, it's horror, whatever it is. It's just like the people who are afraid of looking silly or like ugly crying on camera. It's like, those are going to be the people who are held back because they're holding themselves back because they can't get to that place in front of people. So, um, yeah, it was, it was kind of nice and refreshing in the midst of, you know, all the Heather lines kind of have this same cadence and the same voice and the same, you know, comedy style to them of like, oh, she's super mousy, but she's also a badass and you don't think this is going to come out of her mouth. So it's nice getting these little scenes where I get to explore other elements of the character. Um, but that scene was also really, really easy to get into character for because, you know, the content of the script was quite relatable of just the vulnerability of, you know, putting your heart and soul into something creative and then it not being, you know, received well from these people that you idolize and you care about. And so I was like, that was, <laughs> that hit home in this place where I was like, I can get there. I can, I can get to that headspace of, you know, you know, having to send that email off with your baby that you've put so much hard work into and having to get feedback from somebody whose opinion you really, really care about and trying to like, you know, have that thick skin, but also like you're putting your heart and soul into this project. And it's like, you, there's only so much thick skin that can block between you and like all of your feelings and your, everything that you've put into this project. So I definitely, I definitely had a much easier time getting into character for that scene than, than most crying scenes. Why would I plagiarize myself, you ass? I'd be ruined. This is donkey crap. Okay, bye-bye now. I forgot about the Underwater Demon trilogy. I don't know why I thought my ideas were good enough. No, your ideas are good. Okay, in fact, they're too good for him. So we're keeping the book, all right? Schwank can't have it. And going off that, I would love to hear more about this sort of horror nighttime sequence that you have with Jack. I always love seeing the scenes that, you know, the, the other students aren't a part of because we weren't there. So we didn't really know how this was all going to come together. And I think they really sort of infused this like horror element throughout the episode with the sound. And they had like a lot of like thunder sounds and everything. And, and that was really, really cool to see as the final product. But I would love to hear a little more about what that was like to film. Um, and how you felt about the final product when you saw it. Yeah, I mean, any time we get to do a scene outside of the classroom is always fun, but I think especially when we're in a scene where it's just us and like maybe one or two other actors or even just us by ourselves. Like I know I had that scene where I'm like burning the pages of the Schwank book in my home. Um, I think it's, it's really nice and refreshing uh, because AP Bio is like, you know, Usually it's very stressful because when we're doing these classroom scenes, it's like, you know, 17 whatever people, like we're trying to get coverage of everybody. It's like, oh, uh, Patton walks into the seat and then Paula comes in and we need to get coverage on them, but we also need to get coverage and they want to get reaction shots of all the students. And it's like, we each have one little line and it's, it's insane and you barely get time to really like play around with anything and, you know few and far between when we have blocking or when we do it's like oh every all the students get up and you go out that door you go out that door so it's kind of nice to scale that all way way down to where it's just like this one house set and it's just me and it's glenn and it's like okay let's figure out this like where do you think 
you would stand or do you think you would step forward on this line, kind of getting to actually play around with it more how you would if you were on another show or guest starring on something. It was sort of refreshing to step into this like, oh, hey, I remember what my job used to be like before this show, before I was sitting in a desk 24-7. And so it's, it's kind of nice because I, I feel like I, I tone out and I feel like it's an actual classroom in school. It's kind of like, oh, I wake up super early. I drag myself out of bed. I get to set and like I just sit in like my desk and I have to study and I have to recite these things. And it feels <laughs> like you're in school almost. Yeah. You're like walking by these lockers and you're with all your friends. And so then it's kind of like, oh, oh, wait, I'm an actor and I'm on set. And this is like, we're doing something. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for taking your time and doing this. And um, we just, we can't imagine AP Bio without you. So thank you so much. Yes, you're the best. Thank you so much, Allison. You're going to take over the world. We love you so much. Of course. I know this was so fun. So good chatting with you guys. I keep forgetting that we're recording. I think I'm just talking to you guys. Now it's time for our next guest. We can't talk about AP Bio without mentioning writer and comedian Shelley Gossman. She has been working on the show since its genesis. Not only is she Mike O'Brien's right-hand woman in the writer's room, she also serves as a co-exec producer. Please welcome Shelley Gossman. Shelley! I'm so excited that you guys are doing this. What a cool idea. So before we get into AP Bio, we'd love to actually just hear a little bit more about you and your background in comedy and your foundations there. Well, you know, I thought I was a serious actor in college. I was doing like checkoff plays and stuff and I took myself pretty seriously. And then um, I went to a theater conservatory uh, it's called National Theater Institute. It's in Connecticut, where you are. Eddie. Oh, amazing. It's beautiful. It's like in this old mansion that Eugene O'Neill lived in on oh, the coast. Wow. And anyway, when I got there, they all these professors from the area, like Brown, NYU, come and teach there. And I had my first improv class, and it scared me to death. I would get literally sick. And everyone was like, you're you have a knack for this. You're really good. And I was like, no, 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 no. And they were like, yes. And that's kind of when I started to get hooked on improv. I then, my parents luckily got divorced and my dad ended up moving to Chicago while I was in college. And so I went and lived with him for a summer and I was like, I'm just going to take some second city uh, improv classes. And then I don't know, I'll move to Japan or something, but I got, fully hooked on improv and spent the next, what was it? 12 years, just trying to get on the second city main stage. It didn't take me that long, but um, that's where I met Mike O'Brien. He was on my very first improv team. Oh my gosh. Um, So Mike and I met when we were maybe, I was maybe 21 and he was maybe 22. Uh, And we became best friends and we dated um, oh, give no us the tea. Way. All the tea. <laughs> How long did you guys date? We, I mean, we dated from the time from like, we had a real hard time getting away from each other. We still can't because I think we're like, we're like best friends, soulmates. He's mm-hmm. like, I cut my comedy teeth with him and he's my favorite person to work with. I am mm-hmm. married to a wonderful human yes. and <laughs> he's also best friends with Mike now. Aww. Um, But 
yeah, to find each other that young and be able to just like, we did our first writing of our first one person shows and, you know, mm. first sketch writing together. It was wow. amazing. That's so Like special. you've really grown up together. That is awesome. And um, I got cancer at 23. Oh my God. And um, oh my gosh. I was like, my comedy career is over. This is not funny. No one's going to be around me. But, but Mike was amazing and like took care of me and the whole comedy community would like show up at my chemos eating like garlic mashed potatoes. And I would be like, <laughs> but um, people weren't afraid of it. They, and improv was a perfect thing. Cause I, when I felt good enough, I could do comedy. And when I didn't, I, I could stay home, but I wouldn't like lose my place, you know? But anyway, I think because Mike and I went through that when we were so young, you can't really like what it takes to break up with someone and be like, screw you forever. <laughs> like yeah. that could never happen. Like I'm forever grateful to him for helping me through that time. And so, yeah, we couldn't, we could never like hate each other. <laughs> yeah. I mean, after you go through something like that, of course. Oh my God. I feel like you also just pitched us an incredible television show that you I guys know. should write. <laughs> like I'm ready for you it. Guys are writing partners anyway. <laughs> That my first pilot I sold was called You, Me, and Him. And it was about when I first met my husband, Ben. But Mike and I were like best friends and we were on main stage at Second City. And we didn't know how to like share ourselves with someone new. And it took someone really confident like Ben to not be intimidated by the fact that I'm, you know, have an ex who's a best friend. But yeah. Wow. Now even wow. Mike and Ben's dad text each other. Oh, so. that's so cute. <laughs> I had no idea some of those things. So I want to read that script. <laughs> yeah, I know. Send it to us, please. That's amazing. Please, please. Um, well, obviously, we all sort of see you in the AP bio sphere or writer's room as Mike's right-hand woman. And I really wanted to ask you how you and Mike went about creating a comfortable and creative yet productive work environment for your writers in the room and how has that evolved over the last three seasons well again and my dad says it's a cult but because we came up in improv in Chicago which is different than coming up in improv in LA because when we started no one was coming no one had agents no one had managers we didn't think we were going to well, I'm not famous. Um, We didn't think we were going to like move to Hollywood. We just wanted to be on Second City main stage. That was my end goal. From there, I did get hired to write for Saturday Night Live, but I, that was not what my dream was. I just, but, but studying improv for improv's sake, not to get famous, not to get rich, like that mindset and working with those people it's really all about our idea together is better than my idea alone. And it makes you really great team players and really good listeners. It also like the ego that's involved, even when I would audition for just acting things that weren't improv, there's so much more ego involved. Or when I'm by myself with a script, it's like, Ooh, this is all on me. And if it's good, it's good. But if it's bad, it's all my fault. And um, we just don't, because we are so ingrained in improv comedy 
it makes it really easy to be in a writer's room for us. And, and I find this for improvisers, like people who come from just writing are used to thinking and getting the idea perfect before they show it to someone. But that's not how we work in improv and improv. It's like, I can throw out an idea nugget. You're going to make it better. That person's going to make it great. And then it'll go in the script. So I feel like we're just so lucky for that background. And, and I think it creates a really happy place. Like I, a lot of people say our writer's room is the happiest writer's room they've, they've ever been a part of. I mean, it truly is a blast. <laughs> and I mean, we have a great cast. We have a cast that in, includes friends we've had for almost 20 years that we met when we were improv babies. Mary, Brendan, Jean Villapique. I mean, all of these people come from our Chicago scene and and we feel so lucky that we've been able to involve people we trust, you know? Yeah. Collaborating with, with friends is, I think, one of the coolest things ever. And the most yeah. special, um, for sure. I would love to hear a little bit more about when does it start to feel... I don't know, overwhelming or you guys are feeling behind or slammed and and how does that change the culture in the room and how do you mentally deal with that? We have always dreamed of being one of those shows that gets to write all the scripts first and then start shooting. And we just haven't had that yet. So every time it starts being active production while we're writing, Mike has to be in 20 important meetings that involve casting and choosing the locations like all that stuff takes up so much of his time he can't be in the room and therefore stories like we can work on stories but ultimately he needs to sound off on them so so a lot of times during those times I'll be working with the room on story try to catch him up on lunch if he has a lunch break and make sure he feels good about the direction it's going one great thing about AP Bio is it's so strongly Mike's voice. So he really knows what he wants. That's not to say he doesn't, he, he really needs the room too for new thoughts, but he can say pretty quickly like, oh, I like that one or I don't like that one. There's been some that he didn't like that I've been like, I believe so strongly in this. And then they work out really great. The tunnels episode, like that was always one of my favorite from the beginning. And he was like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Really? And then he loves it now, but I love the it's one of my favorites. So, and um, he actually got some advice from Mike Schur and uh, Dan Gore, I think. No, yeah, yeah. Um, that was just like how often (laughs) he was trying to be on set as much as he could because we we both do. I think I love it the most, but like being on set, and it's like ooh. That's not exactly how I pictured it. And we don't have, and then in the edit, he's like, and I don't have an option of this red, like not sarcastically. And then he feels frustrated, but they both were like, be in the room as much as you can. It's much less important for you to be on set. You just have to trust that the other really talented people that have been put in place can handle it. And you need to be there for story. It's the most important thing. So um, we got that advice and that's how season three shook out more being like, we have to be in the room. We also, because we were canceled, a lot of the people that had been on staff got jobs because they have kids to feed. And yeah. so we started with a lot of new writers in season three, a lot of not only new writers to us, but like new to writers room writers, which wow. uh, uh, some standups, um, 
improvisers, uh, people who we knew were very funny. And we also believe in multi-hyphenates, like, because we come from improv acting writing, um, that we like that vibe. We think it's, it gels really well. So we, Mike hired some people and gave them their first shot and it was really exciting and it was really fun, but breaking a story for television is a very specific thing. <laughs> and, and the math of it is not funny or super fun, but you have to know it. So like we had, we didn't, we had a lot of talent in that room, but we kind of needed to be there for the math of it. Uh, what do you mean when you say math of yeah. it, if you don't mind me asking? So three acts has to really be 22 pages. You know, when you're writing a pilot, they'll tell you it can be 30. It's like, well, once something's airing, it's not, you can't, it can't be 30 pages. That's way too long. You Then your edit is suffering and you're taking out story points to make it fit. So um, the math of, of act breaks, when they have to break, how long they have to be, how the A needs to build, how the A story needs to build, all of that is very logistical. And okay. you have to like learn it so much that it can be, that it can start to feel natural. But I think when people are new, they don't necessarily un have a, a grasp of that. I, I didn't. Right. And it's our job to make sure that's all working as well as being a really fun story and funny story. And, you know, um, it's so yeah. many elements that have yeah. to come together. Awesome. So yeah. going off of that and, and really getting into episode two, Disgraced, um, could you walk us through a little bit of the process of crafting um, this episode? Um, I think people don't really understand that, especially in our case, like everything is so, every episode is written by the room. Like, and, and another thing people say about AP bio is that the outlines that you get to go away with for the most part, unless we got really behind and really stressed, but for the most part, <laughs> the outline, writing the script and putting your name on it is, is mostly just transcribing and you have to have some judge, you add some jokes, but like the ideas for each episode are really from the group. Um, and I think everyone should get credit for every episode. And I wish that was how it worked. But um, we just had a line from the last episode of season two where um, Sarika says, my aunt represents Dean Coombs. So then we were like, well, what if she really did? And that was another client of hers and she's pursuing Jack. And, and that's where it all started from. We could not use Dean Coombs. So then, but, but some of the horror elements of, of came from that for the episode. Like, oh, we want someone who's, a very successful uh, and prolific writer of, of those type of books that people buy, you know, everywhere in airports. Um, uh, so it's Stephen King, it's Dean Koontz, it's Dan Brown, who it's all of them, but we, we couldn't use Dean Koontz. So then we came up with um, Robin Schwank uh, and we, <laughs> it was just that we wanted a really, funny sounding name and and Mike had gone off and written a bunch of schwank monologues like different scenarios where he was getting angry so they existed by themselves before they were put into an episode hey Jack it's schwank 
Great news. You passed the test. You won. Won what? Everything. Well, that's why I was so hard on you, son. I had to make sure you're up to the test. Don't you get it? You're schwank now. Oh, uh... Wow, this took a weird turn. Um, you're gonna write a lot of novels. And I can finally retire. Sorry, hang on a second, Jack. Excuse me, pal, can you have a hand on my freaking pocket? Uh, schwank, you okay? Hey, Jack, Price, I think I'm getting robbed here. Do, don't fight it. Ow, just, ow, just let him have... Right, right, take whatever you want. No, not the psoriasis cream. Jack, I gotta go. Okay, buddy, remember, you're schwank now. Okay, all right, talk soon, bye-bye. No, no, it's for my dog! Um, and then once it was put into an episode, we knew we wanted to focus on Heather and that Heather, it was really natural for that character to love horror and horror writing. So, um, that's kind of, it was a bunch of separate pieces that came together. So obviously we have to ask about the cold open. We just love to hear more about how that came to be. Oh, Iowa naturalist was a thing and that I would talk about. And so these things are just nuggets of stories in the room. Like, oh, what if Victor really wanted to go to Ohio Naturalist because you get to sleep with somebody? And uh, so we had talked about those things. And then some of the scripts, it would be like, okay, the script is written. We just need the cold open from the script. Go write a cold open that would go tangentially with this idea. And um, I think that's what happened with 302. And Hadia wrote a really funny thing about Dave being the teacher and getting stung over and over again and killing geese and, and it we died laughing and we we used ideas um so just pivoting a little bit we also cannot talk about any episode of ap bio without talking about msm or mary steph and michelle and in this episode in particular they are talking about the if i go missing kits um which i have to hear where this came from I love the storyline. I love it too. It came from Lyric. So um, Lyric who plays Steph. Mike, again, really cool idea of having cast members come and have lunch with the writers, especially this year. That was important because a lot of the writers didn't know the cast. And so we brought um, each of MSM in separately and Glenn and MSM all came in to meet the new writers and just talk and talk if they had ideas for the characters and, and, Lyric is obsessed with true crime shows in real life. And she started talking about if I go missing kits, which we had never heard of. And it is a real thing. And like, we just like put it in your freezer or something anyway. So she just, she also talked about how her dad um, told her to have a knife that had been stabbed into an onion, like that you could kill someone if you had to with that. And that onion knife (laughs) she had all these things and she is really like be careful she must have been so excited to see the script and see this part the storyline in it she was like yes going off of that and talking a little bit more um about post-production we actually had the opportunity to sit in on one of your virtual writer screenings as we were starting research for the podcast and so we got to be little flies on the wall and just listen to you guys discuss notes and give feedback on on the cuts um so could you tell us a little bit more about the editing process and giving notes during these sorts of screenings and what that process is like and this is why when people are at home and they're like who wrote that episode i'm writing it down that's the best open episode of the office it's like that episode is a product of everyone who worked on that show and again like 302 i'm like that's lyrics personal story that's 
Hadiyah is cold open, like the fact that I, my name's on it is, is just how it works for the WGA, but, but certainly on our show is not a reflection of like, this was Shelly's sole idea and she executed it. And the same with like post Mike is so hands-on and so good at post, um, which is really where, because a lot of times we try to keep the scripts less than 30 pages, but they weren't, you know, at table reads, a lot of times they're 30, 31. And that means that Mike knows his job is going to be way harder in the edit because he's got to get it down by five pages. And that's, TV moves so fast, it's so crazy, and that's Ooh. so much to cut. And and a lot of times it hurts. It's like, ooh, that was super funny, and we loved that. But it has to go because the story still makes sense without it. And sometimes it's like you'll have to cut the funniest part, and it's like, ah! But um, for Mike, he was like, we have to figure out how to do it virtually because we would always watch the cuts with everyone in person. And he's like, after I've sat with it by myself for days and days, the amount I can learn from 12 people where they laugh or where they're giggling or smiling, I know so much better what jokes are going to work. And that, and for us, like we come from live performance, which again, I think is a, a huge asset because for 12 years of my life, I was performing every night for live audiences. And I, I, you start to learn where people laugh and what is going to work. Like, you know, you're in a vacuum on set. Everyone has to be quiet. You're like doing your funniest performance of something and it's silence. Like that's so hard. Oh, I always say when the crew laughs, like, yeah. we know, we're onto something. Like when we're doing our rehearsals, I was like, Oh, if the crew's laughing, we got this. <laughs> like, you know, sometimes we'll do full, full staff screenings. And he's like, it is knowing what, and where people laugh is so helpful for how to make really difficult cuts. So again, Mike is so good at it and is not precious at all about any step of it. He's like, I need everybody that I've, that I've hired. I'm going to use them in ways like you sitting here, getting a free lunch and watching episodes and me being able to hear what you enjoy is so helpful. And even when I know you said, even though your name is on this episode, it's a product of everyone. Like from your perspective, you also don't feel precious about things going or whatever when when it's you feel like this is something you have special attachment to. Not at that point. Once it's like and I and this was a great lesson to learn going from second city in Chicago where you're like, make your own props and it's pretty close to exactly what you wrote and you're performing it like that amount of control. Then SNL, it's like, you tell, you're, you're somewhat directing your sketches. You're like, I want that costume. I want that prop. I want the set to look like that. But once it's like in 2D, <laughs> like shot from here, your whole idea of what it was is so different. And you're like, it's, I don't control it. It's a product of your guys's performances and how you look in the angle that Oz got. It's like so much everybody's thing that I, I, I feel less and less attachment to it. I, the most attachment I feel is when we're pitching and trying to figure out stories and I'm like, oh, I think that'll work and I have to fight or not fight or, and it's not fighting. And I get very serious about writing. I'm like, even if it's like supposed to be funny and fun, I'm like, but we, especially when things are like, we're out of time and I'm like, but it, it, that, that, that doesn't work. You know, like I'll, I, I'm nice, but I'm intense. And I think even in the most, stressful times Mike uh is still like let's still spitball it let's still 
work on it. And I'm like, nigga, we gotta go with something, bud. <laughs> but I think that's important to have. Like, Mike needs you oh. to be like, okay, we gotta go. We gotta move. Yeah, it's, we balance each other well. Um, but I would say, yeah, in the stressful times, you'd probably rather work for Mike. <laughs> <laughs> well, Shelly, we we cannot thank you enough for this. I I I feel like I've learned so much about this show. Again, such a supportive, loving person. Like whenever you're on set, whenever I see you at a table read, I just I just feel safe around you. And as an actor, that means a lot. So thank you for your energy and your love. You're the best. Yes, thank you so much. Oh, thank you for saying that. I do. I love the show. I love our cast. I love our writers. I love our set designers. I love our costumers. I like we are so lucky. What a blessed. I hope <laughs> I hope it seems too lucky to be true. Doesn't it? Ah, that was so much fun. A huge thanks to our special guests. And as always, thank you to producer Katie Wadsworth and sound engineer Huckabara for helping us bring this episode to life. We'll be back next week to talk about one of our favorite episodes of the season, Gary Meets Dave. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate our podcast for some extra credit. Till next time, everyone. Bye.